Hey, welcome back, everybody. I'm really glad you're here. Good to see everybody again. Um, and uh, I know all the Ravens fans are very excited, too. Yes. So, uh, just had to mention that. Um, but this semester, we're going to be looking through the letter, the epistle of Romans. And uh, we're going to start right in the beginning and kind of dive into it. And uh, Romans is a very long letter, but it is fantastic. It basically uh, promotes the righteousness of Jesus on every page. And uh, that's what we're really going to be talking about. And before I read that, I wanted to tell you a little story. Um, some of you all know that this this fall, I guess starting in the summer, I've built a deck on the back of my house. Not Not just me, but my dad came and he helped me kind of like frame it out. And then I had another friend, Tim, who came and helped me put like one of the beams. But the beauty is in December, I, I literally like, finished the deck. And uh, the inspector came out and I wasn't there when he was there, but he approved it. And I got back right when he was leaving. And I was a little bit worried because he said, hey, I think you were supposed to have uh, 12 inch on center joists. And I had 16 inch. So that got me concerned, but I found paperwork. And it was fine. 16 is standard and everything was good. But even though this deck has been kind of like my joy over the break, just kind of looking out at it, it's like, look at this. This is awesome. There's one part of it. And if you guys come over to the pancake dinner, you might see it. On the very edge of the deck, there's one little board. There's a board on the outside edge and there's a space in between the last board that is just a little bit too wide. And so when you look out at the deck, my, my eye just picks it up every time. Every time I'm saying, I need to fix that. That's like, that's off. That shouldn't be there. And it bothers me. And, uh, and I was thinking about that. And to some extent, I have deck righteousness. And I want you to come over and I want you to see this deck and I want it to be perfect. And I want you to praise me for it to some extent. I'm kidding. But not really. <laughs> and at the same time, there's this side of me that says, this deck's a mess. Like, like look, if, if any carpenter came over here and looked at that, they'd know, like, I didn't know what I was doing and, like, how could I have that? And so... In my, in my life, I have this idea of like, I have this ideal thing of what should be. And at the same time, like, I see that I fail. And, uh, and so if, if I did successfully, uh, make this deck to be perfect, guess what would happen to my heart? Guess how my heart would work? I would say, like, I've got it all together. Look at me. I'm an expert builder and like, you should bow down to me. You should, you know, because I'm building myself up. On the other hand, when I make a mistake, I feel horrible. Because this is how our hearts work. And to some extent, I mean, this is a little illustration, but that's kind of what Romans is about. It's about the righteousness of God. And we all look for righteousness out there somewhere. Maybe it's our grades. Maybe it's GPA. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's... Um, the job that I'm going to have, my career, the American dream. I mean, we all sit, we all have these ideals saying that if I could just attain that, then things would go right. And we feel good about that. And so we boast in that if we succeed. And we feel depressed 
and terrible if we don't succeed. This is our, how our hearts work. And so, Paul in Romans is addressing that. And he's talking about we've got it all wrong. <laughs> We're looking for the wrong kind of righteousness. That there's another righteousness, and it's called alien righteousness. Is actually what Martin Luther, the great theologian, said. That there's this other type of righteousness from God, through Jesus Christ, that comes upon us that we can have that will shut down those voices that say, oh, you're important because look what you did, or you're miserable and you're a failure because look what you didn't do. And that's what Romans is about. It's about the righteousness of God in Christ. So let me read it. And I'm going to really try to not go long this semester. This is a goal. So can somebody like, like look at their watch right now and tell me when it's like 22 minutes later from now? Okay. Right there? Okay. Hear God's Word. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the Gospel of God, which He promised beforehand through His prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning His Son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the Son of God in power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by His resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now this is dense, okay? So hang with me. Through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of His name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to, Christ, to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, all the Romans, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of His Son, that without ceasing I, I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I want you to know, brothers that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. From faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So let me just try to unpack this a little bit. But I want to also use this illustration. If you could switch the slide, Luke. So, uh, I, had to, I had to put this on here. You guys might not know this, but Joe Flacco actually made the, the front cover of Sports Illustrated. Now, usually when that happens, they lose. But for some reason, they didn't lose this time. But they might lose next time. But if you know anything about Joe Flacco, the quarterback Joe Flacco, he's been one of these criticized quarterbacks. And if you listen to any kind of sports talk radio, people will call in and say, oh, he just can't win the big game. He, you know, he's, you know, he's, uh, too, too long and getting rid of the ball. Um, he just can't do it. Well, even though he's won like more playoff games on the road than any quarterback in NFL history, he's, he's just not praised yet. You know why? 
because he doesn't have a Super Bowl ring. It's like in the in in sports, you know, what's it all about? You have to reach the pinnacle. You have to get the Super Bowl ring, and not just one. You know, to be a great, you have to get several. And uh, their whole identity is all about succeeding and getting the Super Bowl ring. And uh, you know, again, this is this idea of performance. <laughs> You know, think of the pressure on both of these teams that are getting ready, like for the Super Bowl. You know, the fans will be devastated if they lose, right? The talk shows will be lit up, you know, complaining if they lose. The fans will be depressed. I will be depressed. And this shows that I'm trying to live out my righteousness to some extent through this team. And and again, the way our hearts work is... We can, we can idolize anything in life. It can be a deck at our house, uh, or it can be our football team, uh, or it could be Super Bowl rings, or whatever. But this is our, how our heart works. But the Gospel says something totally different. Uh, we're under all of this pressure to build some sort of case, to build some sort of justification for our life, to build some sort of righteousness. But God is saying, that's the wrong thing. I want to give you my righteousness. I want to set you free from all these ways that you're trying to build your own record. Am I making sense? You understand kind of what's going on? We all have this desire to build our record. It could be Super Bowl rings, or it could be clothing, or it could be beauty, or it could be exercise. I was at the gym today. There was a thousand people there. I don't know if anybody was over there this afternoon. It was crazy. Um, keep exercising. But... You know, for some people, it's body image. It's like, if I look like this, then I will be somebody. I'll be important. This is where I gain my righteousness. What, and what Romans is saying is, no. There's another kind of righteousness. And it's the ultimate righteousness we should seek. Righteousness of God. Uh, through Jesus. And what He has done. And so, simply we're going to look at this. Uh, the Gospel <laughs> is what Paul is talking about here. And in the Gospel, in this good news... God gives us another kind of righteousness. A righteousness from heaven. A pure righteousness. A a righteousness that sets us free from all of these other righteousnesses that are out there in our lives and competing for our hearts. And this is what is so powerful about the Gospel. So we're going to look at this. The first thing is um, the DNA of the Gospel. Who is the Gospel about? Secondly, what does it do or what does it produce in us? And thirdly, how, uh, how we get it or, or, or how, uh, how it changes us. Okay? So the first thing is this, the nature of the Gospel. Or who's the Gospel about? Well, we see from this passage, you can go back to the Scripture, um, that the Gospel means good news and it's ultimately tied up and it's about Jesus. If you cut the Gospel open, <laughs> it's Jesus. It's who He is. It's His person and it's what He has done. And in the passage, we see um, the heart of the Gospel right here in the beginning. Paul, a servant of who? Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the Gospel of God, which he promised before, through his prophets and the Holy Scriptures, concerning his Son. The Gospel, the good news, is about Jesus. He is the Gospel, and it's what it's all about. And so... um, 
It's all about the fact that he had to be a man and he also had to be God. If you look at this passage, it talks about how Jesus, the one, was in the flesh. It says there that who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the Son of God. So here we have it. Jesus. Jesus Christ. Jesus the Christ. Who is he? He's both a man and he is also God. He had to be a man. Why? Because he had to be the the mediator. He had to be someone who could relate to us. And so he leaves heaven, it says in Philippians. He empties himself of all his glory. He puts on flesh. And he comes to earth. And he lives a perfect life that we couldn't live. And he dies on the cross as a substitute for us. So, theologians talk about the person and the work of Jesus. The person meaning He is God, He is all, he is all God, and He is all man. He's amphibious, like we, we talked about on the, uh, the, the fall retreat. You know, He is both, He is the God-man. He's not just a spirit, He's not just uh, someone who's a fantasy or, um, you know, a fairy tale. But He actually lived, He walked, He lived a perfect life, He loved And then he goes to the cross and he dies this substitutionary death. And so Paul is talking about kind of all these things implicitly in this, where he says the Son of God in power, or he says, says, uh, according to the Spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. So he's implicitly talking about the whole Gospel right in the first four verses, that Jesus came, He was in the flesh, but He was also the Son of God. He died... On the cross, and he was raised again from the dead. This is what Paul is talking about, and this is what the gospel is all about. It's all about who Jesus is and what he's done on the cross for us. Um, some of you have seen uh, the the TV show Band of Brothers, which I love, and it's about the Easy Company that goes to um, they come in after D-Day in World War II, and they go through the Battle of the Bulge, and it's really a story about sacrifice. It's a story about these men going to Europe and uh, literally many of them dying in order to set us and the world free from the tyranny of Hitler and, and, the, and the Nazi rule in World War II. And in each episode, there's usually some heroic action that happens. And usually in every episode, too, there's death. And it's a, it's a reminder to us when we see you know, war happen and something like World War II that these men, they died a sacrificial death so that we could go free. And that, that is, on a small sense, exactly what Jesus is doing in the Gospel. But the difference is this. You know, our American brothers who died, they were our friends. They were our comrades. But what the Gospel is saying is because we have not kept God's laws, we're actually His enemies. And we're separated from Him and we're under God's wrath. But yet Jesus comes and He takes upon Himself our sin and He dies on that cross for us. This is what Jesus has done uh, in the Gospel. The person and the work. His work is a substitutionary work. It's a work that He sacrificed for us. That He stood in our place. What does it produce? Secondly, what's the Gospel produce? Well, in this passage it talks about salvation. And righteousness. Okay, we'll get back to that word righteousness. But look at verse 16 and 17 all the way at the end. 
This is probably the theme verse. If there was a thesis to Romans, it's right here. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek or the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Salvation. What is it? It is the power of God for salvation. And so what Paul is saying is, we needed complete rescue. In the gospel, in the good news, something has happened. Jesus has gone to the cross, and He has died for sinners. And He is resurrected. And the salvation He brought about came through that action. And so Paul is saying, there's the power... (laughs) The power of God for salvation is wrapped up in this action of Jesus. And he's saying, and so what is it saying about us? It's saying that we were dead and we needed saving. A lot of people think that the gospel or salvation is partially me and partially Jesus. Okay, like salvation equals, you know, I'll do my work, I'll do the best I can, and then Jesus will take care of the rest. But the Bible is saying no. <laughs> in fact, in Ephesians 2, it says that we were dead spiritually. Dead in our trespasses and sins. This is pretty radical. It's saying that ever since Adam and Eve in the garden were uh, went against God, that we have been under the curse. We've been under God's wrath. That we, are, we cannot save ourselves. We are spiritually dead. We're alive physically, But spiritually, our hearts are broken and they're dead and we need ultimate rescue. And so what Paul is saying is in the Gospel, it's the power for salvation. That in it, it saves us. Something about this message saves us. It's outside of ourselves and it's, it's like they come and they put those, uh, you know, the shocking pads on your heart when you're dead and it's, and it brings you back to life. I don't know what those things, the paddles. Yeah, defibrillators. That's what happens in the Gospel. We are dead, and it's the power of salvation to wake us up, to rescue us. The biggest Old Testament story is the Exodus. Okay, Israel, they're under bondage. They're down in Egypt. They're dead. They, they have no way to get out. They begin to cry out to God. And God raises up Moses. And through all these miracles, brings them out through the Red Sea. And, you know, in the Old Testament, that is a pointer. Moses, the greater Moses is coming, the Lord Jesus, who is ultimately going to rescue us from the bondage of sin. Israel was in bondage to Pharaoh. They were slaves. And now we are slaves to sin and we need rescue. And that's what Jesus does on the cross. So it is the power for salvation. Um, and it is also... Uh, uh, and so how do we gain that? How do we, well, how do we receive that? Well, we receive it by faith. And this is one of the key verses in all the Scriptures. Like, well, how is a person saved? Well, right here it says, For I'm not ashamed of the Gospel, or it says in 17, For in, the, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. We receive that salvation. We receive the righteousness of God by faith. Faith, what is it? Faith is simply 
acknowledging who Jesus is, that He is God, that He is the Son of God, that we are sinners and in desperate situation, we can't save ourselves. And it literally is just believing, it's trusting alone in Him. It's not a work. It's, it's kind of like a wire hooked up to a battery. Does the wire do anything? No, it just receives. It just lays on the battery cable, right? Or on the battery terminal. And it receives the power. That is what faith is. We rest in Jesus. Francis Schaeffer, this theologian, pastor, guy that wore knickers in, in Europe, in Switzerland, he would call it, we bring empty hands to God. All we can say is, I've got nothing to offer. I need you, Jesus. The empty hands of faith. This is going to be a problem because that's my notes. Um, maybe this is how I will I will go shorter. How are we doing on time? Um, the empty hands of faith, and in that we get the righteousness. The righteous shall live by faith. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed. Okay, so all these other righteousnesses that we're trying to attain, God is saying no. My righteousness comes through Jesus Christ. He's perfect. He's my Son. He lived the life that you couldn't live perfectly, loved people, and He died the death that we deserved. And so, in, when we believe in Jesus, He transfers the righteousness of Jesus to our account. I like to talk about ATM machine, spiritual ATM machine. I go to the ATM machine, I put in my card, and it says, you know, negative one million dollars... I owe to God because of my sin. I'm under His curse. I'm under His wrath. And the Gospel says Jesus takes my card, rips it up, and He sticks His card in there, puts in my PIN number, and all of His righteousness is transferred to my account. This is what, the, this is what it is. So, when you become a Christian, it's not just that all oh, my sins are forgiven. It's that now God looks at you like He sees Jesus. Okay, so this means everything because we, we don't have to be consumed by everything the world is consumed by. By our careers, by you know, our GPAs, by getting into grad school, by you know, getting into a fraternity or sorority or to that music group or whatever it is that we're saying, this is my life. My salvation will come if I get there. The gospel is saying, no, I love you. I've died for you. You're my beloved child, and I give you everything, all of my righteousness to your account. Free. Free grace. Just accept it. Empty hands. That's the righteousness. That's why it says the righteous shall live by faith. And this is what Martin Luther, okay, the old monk back in the 1500s, discovered. And it was said of him, he was a, he was a Roman Catholic monk, he would wear out his... Confessors, He'd wear out his priest because he would keep thinking of his sins. And he knew that God was righteous and he knew that he was a sinner. And he would, and he would hour after hour confess his sins, think of other sins, start going back to his room, remember other sins and come back. He kept seeing his sin and he kept seeing that God is righteous, but he couldn't see how God could love him and he hated God. His biography talks about he hated God for that. And then he began to study Romans. In fact, his father, his priest at the monastery said, Martin, I want you to go away and study the Bible and teach the Bible. So he's in Wittenberg, Germany, and he's teaching the Bible, and he's studying Romans, and he's studying Psalms, 
And this chapter, Romans particularly, hit him. And this verse, 16 and 17, transformed his life. And, it was, and he finally understood that there was a righteousness outside of himself that, that got a hold of him, outside of himself, that the gospel wasn't internal, looking at your belly button, looking at all your sins. It was saying, yes, I am a sinner, I acknowledge that, but guess what? Jesus is giving me all of his righteousness. And I am okay. I'm more than okay. I have the righteousness of Christ by faith. This set him free. It also transformed a lot of Germany. It brought about the Protestant Reformation. And if you guys know your history, you've, you've seen some of those things. It totally impacted the Western world. Because this little monk got a hold of this doctrine that had kind of been forgotten. It had been covered over through church history, and then he found it again, and it awakened. And in every awakening uh, since then, it's, it's this idea that gets a hold of people, that changes people. It's this idea that there's another righteousness out there, apart uh, from yourself, that sets you free. And so what does it do? Well, it changes us. And all you have to do is look in here in, in verses 8 to 15, and you can see how much it changes Paul. Paul's the example here. And if you remember, Paul was, used to be called Saul of Tarsus. He was a Pharisee. He was part of a religious sect in Judaism that was all about keeping the law. And he thought that through the law keeping, that he would be righteous and zealous. And he really didn't need a Savior. He didn't need Jesus. And so when Jesus comes on the scene, he, did, he was blinded to him. And he ultimately persecutes the church. He begins to try to lock up Christians. He begins to actually kill some of them. In fact, Stephen in Acts 6 is the first martyr who's killed. So Paul is, Saul at that time is all about suppressing Jesus, suppressing the church. He's putting people in prison. So he's on this trip to Damascus to do the same thing, to take and to imprison Christians. And what happens? Jesus shows up to him supernaturally on the road to Damascus, a bright light. He sees everything. He sees clearly. He's he's blinded physically, but spiritually, his eyes are open to Jesus is the Lord. And he believes. And then all of a sudden, he goes from the greatest proponent against Christianity to the greatest proponent for the Gospel. He's writing to Rome. Gentiles. He's Jewish. They didn't like each other. His whole life has changed racially. The Gospel has changed him. He wants to meet these people. He wants to go and visit them. Not just them. Later in Romans, he wants to go to Spain. He goes on all these missionary journeys. He's he's tortured. He's bruised by the Gospel. Everything. His life is totally changed. Radically changed by the Gospel. And he wants to, to, to promote Jesus. And he sees himself tied in with Jesus. And everything about him changes. And so, the question you have to ask yourself, and I have to ask myself, is do we, do we have a hold of the Gospel like that? Do we see the righteousness of God in our lives by faith? And so, all semester we're going to be talking about this because that's the whole theme of this book. And we're going to keep coming back to it. And keep thinking about it. I want to close with this illustration of the World War II. Saving Private Ryan. Seen it? It's bloody. The first 20 minutes, very bloody. If you can get through that, 
you know, close your eyes, but it's a great movie. It's about, you know, Tom Hanks is the main guy. He's like Sergeant Miller. And uh, they had a mission. The mission was to go get Private Ryan, whose other two brothers were already killed in World War II. And the army found out about it, and they said, we need to go find uh, Private Ryan, and we need to bring him out of there. And so they go on this mission, and basically all the guys in the platoon die to just try to save this one guy. And there's this great scene with Tom Hanks, Sergeant Miller, on this bridge, I think somewhere in Germany, as they're closing in, and they have Private Ryan, Matt Damon in the movie, he's there with them, and the planes come in and friendly fire, basically the bombs uh, rain down on the platoon, and Tom Hanks's character dies. And as he is dying, he pulls Matt Damon close, and he says, earn this. Earn this. Fast forward to the end of the movie. This man, Private Ryan, now is 60, 70 years old, and he comes to D-Day, and he sees the tombstone with his family, and he's there. And he kneels down, he's weeping, and it's Private, it's uh, Sergeant Miller's uh, tomb. And uh, he talks to him and he says, like, I have tried to be a good man, I've tried to be a good man, I've tried to be a good man. And he's weeping. And he, and he asks his wife, like, tell me I'm a good man. Please tell me I'm a good man. Because he was living his whole life trying to earn that salvation, basically, that had happened to him. Now, what I want to say to you is, is that is not the gospel. The gospel is not we earn it. The gospel is that Jesus Christ earned it for us. And we accept it by faith. And out of that, it changes everything about you. It frees you to live. Yeah, to live an amazing life for the gospel and for Jesus. And it changes the way you think about everything. That's what we're going to be talking about. Let me pray. Jesus, thanks for tonight. Thank you for uh, the gospel. Help us to know uh, and to wrestle with it. Lord, it doesn't come easy. That's why Paul keeps talking about it on every page. The righteousness of Jesus by faith. Uh, Lord, be with these students as they start the spring semester. Bless them. Keep them healthy. With all the flu going around, encourage them in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to sing another song, and there's plenty of cookies and hot chocolate and stuff back there, too, so hang out. No one's going to stand up.